0: When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this.
1: This place doesn't look like the pictures. Come on, the doors are on back. Ah, Is there a door behind all those spiders?
2: (laughs) It's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation.
1: (sighs) Look at how many spiders there aren't.
0: Where should we lie down for eight consecutive hours first? Relax,
1: you
2: booked a Verbo.
3: Me. We can't get fooled
1: again. All right, welcome to the show, everyone. I am Ben Kissel, as always, with Marcus Parks. Hey, Ben. All right, as promised on the last episode, we got a great guest with us. He's been on before. You're going to love him. He's an ex-CIA operative. His name is Mike Baker. Thanks for being with us, Mike.
3: Absolutely. Thank you,
1: guys. All right. So the CIA, it's uh, it's really the it's the it's the uh, the bell of the ball right now. Everyone's <laughs> talking about the CIA. I
3: know, I know. Rarely does it make this much news. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's just it's, a pretty wacky time right now.
1: And obviously it's been uh, highly discussed because they did come out and, and uh, say that the Russians influenced the election here in the United States, or at the very least uh, so discontent, uh, you know, regarding democracy, and it made people, uh, gave people a little bit of, um, hesitation when it comes to what our version of democracy is, uh, which is I suppose sort of the goal. And then Donald Trump came out and he blamed the CIA for uh, for lying and spreading misinformation about the Russians, which is a really unique situation. So as someone who was aligned with the CIA for a very long time, what are your thoughts on Donald Trump's approach uh, you know to uh, to the institution? Yeah, uh, it's uh, I mean, it,
3: it, it operates on a couple of different levels. Really right. So when he when he talks about the agency and, and you know says some of his things that he said that have been you know somewhat disparaging uh, on a professional level, you know the the operators at the CIA the, the you know the folks that actually do the collection and the, <laughs> produce the intelligence they really don't care right. I mean they they're very professional. Uh, it's it's despite what the movies and you know the big beach books would like you to think it's mm-hmm. a very apolitical organization at the working level. Uh, and so they just it doesn't matter to them. You know, they march on. there they know you know administrations come and go, they send their tasking over, and the job is just to you know follow the tasking. And you know at the at the top of the organization, obviously, it can be a little bit different because that's a political appointment right there at the director's right. slot. And you know that's above my pay grade to say, you know to what degree John Brennan, you know is is political, I mean, he's been around quite a while. He's got a very good relationship with Obama. He worked in the Obama White House. Before he went over to the agency, he has a lot of experience at the agency. Uh, most of it on the DI side, the the uh, director of intelligence. Well, and, you know, so I mean, but but I guess with the, just to, to to wrap that point, the uh, the other part of it though is, you know, from a human nature side, sure, people are, are irritated or they, you know, they're concerned. Um, the concern isn't so much that they feel like they're being disrespected. The concern is that, you know, they they. They, they put a lot of time, effort, resource, you know, blood, sweat, and tears into producing intelligence, collecting the intelligence on the street in some pretty awful places, mm-hmm. and then getting that intelligence to the president's desk. So the concern is not so much that he's dissing them. The concern is, all right, I don't know how much attention you're going to pay to this.
1: Right. So, of course, yes, John Brennan being an Obama, uh, Obama appointee, uh, and, of course, the CIA is in constant competition with something like the KGB, which is, of course, uh, Vladimir Putin's uh, bread and butter. I mean, that's who trained him, and that's uh, what he is, uh, that's sort of where his mindset is. Do you feel as if this is a Trump uh, sort of siding with Putin to some degree in this scenario? Do you think the CIA takes it extra, uh, takes the criticism with with an extra, you you know, sort of um, anger because it is a competition between the KGB and the CIA on, you know, on a sort of a geopolitical level
3: uh, before, uh, before we go any further, am I allowed to swear on the? Of joke? course, Man. yes. Oh, perfect. Okay, no. That whole idea that Trump has got some special friendship and that there's some brewing, you know, secret alliance between the U.S. and the Trump administration and Russia is a load of horseshit. That that crap is being pushed around by the uh primarily the the left-leaning media. That's a shocker to people that. The media might lean left mm-hmm. uh, but and that that part of it is just it, it's somewhat insane it 's it's, it's about as crazy as this idea that somehow Rex Tillerson, the appointee or, or the he hasn't been confirmed, but the the, the Secretary of State that mm-hmm. you know may move in, you know had some close personal friendship with Vladimir Putin uh, no, he operated a massive public company that had to do business and respond to its shareholders in Russia, so he has colleagues he doesn't have friends mm-hmm. uh overseas i mean this 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 line about you know there there's this this uh this conspiracy you know where the russians and the americans are you know through the trump administration working together it's just, it's just, it just, it's it's so fucking stupid mm-hmm. but you know it's out there and people are, are you know responding to it so your point about the the competition between the cia and the fsb which used to be the kgb well sure that's been going on since you know since uh, world war 2 um and You know, so the – I mean, I'm old enough to have started at the agency when the Soviet Union was still the number one enemy. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it was kind of comfortable times because you knew who the enemy was. And, you know, there was some predictability there. It's not, you know, like the crap now with with terrorism. Uh, And so, you know, we're well-versed in dealing with uh, the Russian intelligence service, uh, Putin – is uh is an interesting cat in that uh yes he was you know he was pretty senior over at the uh, old k g b and you know in his mind the collapse of the soviet union is disastrous uh so he you know he's everything he does is mm-hmm. in you know, line with the idea that he wants to rebuild the Soviet Union in some capacity.
1: Right. Well so that's that plays we need to take that into account every right. time we deal with it. You know, a lot of people are calling Trump or equating Trump to Ronald Reagan because of course Ronald Reagan had quite a intimate relationship in a lot of ways with Gorbachev. But of course the result of that relationship was the crumbling of the Soviet Union. I was on Meghan McCain's show this week and I did equate uh, what Trump is currently doing with the Soviet Union. I think he's trying to destabilize the Chinese government, hence taking the phone call from the Taiwanese president Um, but doesn't it seem like it's almost the inverse what Trump is doing right now with the Russians as opposed to what Reagan was doing because it seems as if they almost want to recreate the Soviet bloc to harken back to the 80s, 70s, 60s, 50s when we did have one enemy
0: yeah, and I think that also plays like when Trump came on to the ticket, the, one of the big things that they wanted taken off uh, from the Republican platform uh, was their stance against Russia uh, and uh, Russia's
1: intervention in the Ukraine. So do you think that would that would just make for a simpler geopolitical world?
3: Well, I, I don't yeah, I, I don't think that's necessarily um, the grand vision over there at uh, you know Trump headquarters um is to recreate some sort of you know uh you know bipolar world uh but i think that you know look, over the past several years okay um if we just kind of look at, at where we've gotten to with foreign policy our relationship with with russia uh hasn't been in our own best interest right so if you have to assume that every nation has to act in its own best interest national security interests economic interests you know, we seem to have been over the past several years kind of apologizing yeah. for, being, for doing that. We're doing what every other nation does.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so in just looking around the globe and in this state of the world today in terms of where the crises are um, and the leverage that we've lost and that the Russians have gained, you can make a pretty good argument that says, all right – what we've been doing isn't particularly effective. Well, now, so, yeah, that's oh, ahead,
1: no, that's interesting. Uh, with with Russia and what's happening, for example, in Syria, obviously Aleppo is now on the uh, is all over the television news screens. Even though that uh, catastrophe and, and, and travesty of justice has been happening for. Uh, most of obama's um eight years uh specifically obviously much more here in the past two isn't trump's foreign policy basically just an extension of barack obama's foreign policy and do you think uh, the reason that the media is covering it now uh, is because a conservative or whatever donald trump is a republican nonetheless is going to be holding the white house well i
3: think well i think to your point you know in in sort of the narrow terms yes i mean i think you know, if Trump did nothing else other than just continue every policy that, that Obama had, he would still take an ass kicking, um, because that's just the way it's going to work in terms of the media now battling or you know a Republican or you know it's the point you made or whatever whatever he is. Yeah, we've talked uh, about Republican that before Yeah, <laughs> I don't know that anybody's figured it out, but um, but I, I think that. And again, I, you know who, who can read the tea leaves at this point, and in, in terms of where they're, they're really going to in head in the, in the weeds when it comes to foreign policy. But um, we need to we need to be more pragmatic. And I think that some of the people that they're putting into office right now will be um, in terms of dealing with Putin. We have not been smart about dealing with Putin for a very long time. It's been well, what- well, back before the Obama administration into the Bush administration. We've allowed him to uh, to pursue his own interests, his own agenda, without any pushback.
2: Right. And
3: I have a feeling that people are misreading the, the direction that the new administration is going to go with the Russians. I think their intention, uh, if you look at some of these individuals, if you look at Madison, you, if you look at, at uh, you know, you have to kind of read between some of the things that Flynn has said and look more at what, what uh, DIA was doing when he was in charge there for a period of time. Um, if you look at at uh, General Kelly, you know I think yeah, at General Kelly, but also you know some of the deputies that that are going to be working under Flynn in the National Security Group. You know, I have a feeling we're going to be taking a a more pragmatic, a, a more of a um, more of a I don't know even know what you call it. I don't want to say America first policy, but I think we're going to be more mindful of what's in our best interests. And just to- uh, and oftentimes, and that, and that does not mean what's in Russia's best interest because those. Those two things almost never collide.
1: Right. Just to clarify, what do you mean by pragmatic?
3: Well, America, we have a tendency, uh, and who knows how long it's been going on, certainly in my lifetime, uh, and, and I've spent all my life overseas, um, we have a tendency to mirror our values onto everybody else. So. I honestly believe this. A lot of people might scoff at it, but I, I think, you know, I've, I've got some pretty good experience in this. We, no matter what administration's in place, we try to do the right thing. And we try to do the right thing overseas. Sometimes we make a misstep, mm-hmm. but we, we self-correct and it may take some time to self-correct. But our tendency is to look at problems and try to do the right thing by them uh, for, for what we perceive to be uh, the right values. Well, the problem is we mirror that onto other nations thinking that's how, and I know it sounds simplistic and people say, well, it must be smarter than that, but we mirror onto other nations and we say, this is how they're going to do things and this is how they're going to process things. And that's bullshit. That's not how the world works. Mm -hmm. And we constantly get tripped up over the decades because we, we, we plan and strategize and move forward with things, you know, assuming... That there's going to be some you know pseudo community of nations, or that the nation we're dealing with is going to process information the way that we do and then react properly. Of course, and W sold the Iraq. We always act surprised.
1: Yeah, and of course, W sold the Iraq war with. They'll treat us as liberators to to, to sort of play into that notion that you're discussing here, Marcus. You had a question.
0: Uh, Well, I mean, as far as us not giving, uh, or or as far as us giving Russia a little bit more pushback, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, when uh, Donald Trump came on, one of the things they wanted taken off. Was uh, our opposition to Russia's invasion of uh, the Ukraine? Why did they? If we're going to be giving the Russians more of a pushback, why was that one of uh, their demands?
3: Well, I mean, I think it's I think it's simplistic to say that their demand was to take away U.S. opposition to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. That's kind of phrasing it in
0: in unrealistic terms. Uh, so, well, how think, how would you how would you phrase it then?
3: Well, I would say that. What the problem with our dealing with Ukraine was we had no policy, right? We haven't had a policy really towards the Ukraine. We talked about, you know, support and we talked about democratic values, but tell me one thing that we did during the course of the course of this current administration that was a positive physical demonstration of support on behalf of the Ukrainian government against the Russians.
1: Right, and of course, I mean, over the Ukrainian, uh, over Ukraine, there was a commercial airliner shot down. I mean, there was many atrocities that happened in that region, and we certainly, and going back to Syria, I mean, they crossed that red line, and they have been crossing that (laughs) red line for quite a while now with absolutely no repercussions uh, coming from the United States whatsoever. So you talk about W's relationship with Putin, and this was what's so interesting about the Russian-U.S. relationship. You're talking about how we've been sort of losing this war with Putin for a very long time, or Putin's Russia. W, of course, talking about looking into his eyes and seeing his soul. Uh, Obama talking to the Russian president. I can never say his last name. I'm going to try Menedendev. I think that's kind of close. There's a lot of N's in there and a few D's and a V. Um, and of course, talking about how he'll have more flexibility in 2011 after the 2012 election. He was talking with him on, and was caught on a hot, uh, hot mic. And now we have Donald Trump who is seeming to have a, uh, a fairly uh, cozy relationship to some degree with Putin as well. What, where is the difference then in Trump's, um, you know, strategic positioning in order to make America come first? Um, where, where How do you see Trump changing course from the previous two administrations?
3: Well, I think there's probably a few things. I think one is that, um, you know, A, we're going to be more serious about, you know, uh, improving the infrastructure of our military, you know, um, rebuilding a lot of the uh, the old programs you know, that have been aging out on equipment. Um, I think we're going to be more serious about creating uh, a more streamlined military and devoting more budget to that. I know that sometimes makes people's heads explode when they think about that, but mm-hmm. the reality is all you have to do is look around the world see the, the the defense spending that's going on in, in China. Um, obviously, sort of the saber-rattling on Russia's part uh, the problems that we're having with North Korea And containing that nuclear program um, It's not realistic I think we can give up on this idea again Of a community of nations that you know President Obama Thought we could step off the world stage and everything Was going to be nice uh, So at least there will be a serious effort And mm-hmm. a fairly well publicized effort To, um, I don't want to say rebuild Because its it's not that bad mm-hmm. But to reinvigorate the U S military that right there sends a strong message to both Russia and China. So are we just um, entering
0: think, a new, are we just entering a new arms race? Like, is this a new cold war?
3: No, no, I don't think so. But I think that again, I think, um, the reality of the world is, I guess, you know, depending on, you know, again, it's always open for debate, isn't it? But my, my perspective is that, um, if, we're not at the top of the food chain, mm-hmm. then someone else is going to try to take that spot. And oftentimes that, that results in a lot of chaos. Right. And I would also argue that again, I know maybe people listen to this and think, oh, the guys, you know, look at the rose colored glasses, but we, I think we're best suited to be at the top of the food chain right now, because I think we do actually try to uphold, um, values that, um, you know, in, in a sense, or, or you know, Democratic, you know, Liberty, whatever you want to say. Right, I, right. Again, I don't want to sound like Andy Ro- or, uh, Mickey Rooney, <laughs> Andy Rooney, or either, either Rooney's good, Yeah, neither you know, Rooney. Like, frankly. Yeah. I love either Rooney. Oh, yeah, uh, great. Yeah. So well, that's... I think there'll, there'll be that effort. I think we're going to see. There will be, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but, again, I'm basing it on the people who are being brought into the teams mm-hmm. at sort of the second and third level, uh, and they're uh, harder-nosed individuals than the people that have been in the foreign policy and, 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 uh, and diplomacy field for, uh, the current administration. Yeah. And, you know, so I think there's, it's going to have to, we're going to have to see, I may be completely, you know, uh, off base on this, but I'm basing it on the people that are coming in. Um, and not, I, I, I'm not taking Trump at his word, right. I didn't have a dog in the hunt for this particular you know, election. I didn't, care for either one of them. Right. But now that we have this president elect, you know, we have to work, you know, hopefully to some degree in the same direction to try to make this work. Right. Well, and I, I think there's been a number of people. I just spent the week in Washington uh, in a lot of meetings. And there's a, a number of people who are coming in who weren't, you know, Trump supporters, but they're patriotic right. Americans. And right. their belief is, well, now we we have to march on. Let's let's. and And they have something to offer. Yeah. And so I think that there's people coming into the administration now that don't make the headlines. They're not the cabinet secretaries. Sure. But frankly, your second you know, the cabinet secretaries and the president don't make much difference. It's the right. people at the working level that move this government.
1: Well, it's interesting you mentioned how he wants to rebuild the military in a little bit more of a traditional way, um, which would then, I suppose to some degree, remove the power that the CIA has gained under Obama specifically with his drone war. Um, so do you feel like Trump not necessarily respecting the CIA, I want to Get your thoughts on Tom Pompeo, the Tea Party um, uh, politician, who, who is going to be the new head of the CIA coming uh, starting January twentieth. Do you feel like we're trying to go back to a more traditional military uh, head, you know, led and a lot of people uh, believe that's why he's bringing the generals in. I also want to hear your thoughts a little bit later in the episode. If you f- feel as if it's a military coup coming from the inside, I've heard this uh, discussed on, on, on shows and things like that. But what, you, what do you see the role of the CIA right now? Um, what do you think it's going to be under a president Trump? Does he plan on sort of getting rid of what I think was Obama's most controversial foreign policy, putting them in charge of the drone program? Because then of course, uh, there's no congressional oversight and things like that. What do you see the CIA's role under a president Trump? And do you feel like that's really where he's going uh, to embrace? That's why he's going to embrace a more traditional military.
3: Well, I mean, you know, going back to what you just said, the agency had control of the drone program. Um, And, you know, the military had its own, had a very sort of separate and and somewhat limited uh, drone capability, and the military was was pushing for more. Um, But the way that the CIA exists, um, since it was founded in World War II, uh, gives it the ability to, um, to do more. So that's why the agency, the agency typically is in places before the military shows up. I mean, the agency is, you know, our paramilitary organization, paramilitary group is, you know they came out of the OSS the you know, Office of Strategic Services more or Two. they tend to you know be on the ground softening up things before you know spec
1: ops even show up so well, when you, you say know, there's, softening there's the up of the agency sorry what does softening up entail
3: uh it can mean a variety of things it can mean um, it can mean uh, working with locals you know the you know at the very beginning of a, of an operation um you know coordinating and, and um, you know, uh, providing resources. It can mean, um, actually identifying and, and taking out targets. Uh, mm-hmm. it can mean, um, gathering the intel and then being there to ensure that when the, you know, the other teams arrive that they can hit the right targets. I mean, so there's a, there's a lot you know to it. It depends okay. on what the mission requires. But so anyway, I, I think that, um, the, the CIA, its job right is essentially, even though, director uh, john brennan a while back a couple months ago said that the cia doesn't steal secrets of course it does
2: Mm -hmm. i don't know
3: what that you know that's 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 one area where i would definitely disagree with with mr brennan who's got a lot of experience is very sharp but um he sometimes can be somewhat diplomatic and political when i think it's not necessary Mm -hmm. the agency's job is to steal information or gather information gather intelligence primarily that protects national security uh, interests, so it's going to continue to do, be doing the very same thing. What happened with the agency and the drone program coming out of nine eleven? I mean, people think about the CIA now and they think about it in terms of, oh, it's just a paramilitary organization. Well, there's a paramilitary group within the agency, but its primary function is espionage, is gathering information, and that you know typically means recruiting sources, um, and uh, or you know, and or stealing secrets however you mm-hmm. want to put it and right. you know the public better but hope that we're good at it because the other nations are and in, in, are including our allies are doing it constantly and they're very aggressive at it mm-hmm. um so uh, anybody who thinks that it's awful that the agency does that doesn't live in the real world so uh, how is it going to change under the trump administration honestly I, I really don't think it will um i i most of the folks that i've spoken to um, look at the incoming director and they they like the guy um, he's got a good track record of of uh, understanding of supporting uh, the agency he sat on the Intel committee he was on the uh, CIA subcommittee you know Harvard Law Review editor uh, first in his class at West Point it's a good range of experience mm-hmm. and he's got by all counts, he's got um, you know strong admiration for the, the long-term mission of the agency and that's important so I think that's going to be a good, uh, a good choice. Uh, I think having the generals in place, uh, I'm not one of those people who's worried about, you know, bringing in two or three generals, frankly. Uh, my experience has been that senior military leaders who had combat experience are a lot more circumspect and, and, mm. and a lot less inclined to rush uh, our men and women into war if there are other options because they know how awful it is. And so I'm pretty comfortable with that. I don't think there's going to be a power grab for intel. There is, you know, the one one part that is legitimate is that it's interesting that Michael Flynn, who's going to be the new national security advisor, Mm -hmm. he's had a somewhat rocky relationship with the CIA. Um, And yet he's also a very smart and, you know, and and, uh, informed Mm -hmm. individual. Um, I don't see any sort of Machiavellian effort to to uh to steal you know turf away from the cia it's a pretty well-defined set of responsibilities that they have that military intelligence has
1: michael flynn's gonna be way too busy cracking pizzagate so uh you know he's he's got his (laughs) hands full with with all of that that's
3: like the first year that's the first year's effort right there
1: yeah absolutely you you mentioned um the long-term uh, end game for the CIA. Can you give any sort of uh, what, what's the long term mission uh, for the CIA? Is there any sort of uh, insight on that? I mean, because it just seems well, like it's always, never, it's always yeah. been the same. That really hasn't changed since its inception,
3: you know, back in 42, 43, uh, since when it was, you know, first brought into, into service by Roosevelt. Um, and so that, its mission, it just continues to march along. It is there as an intelligence-gathering organization designed to protect national security interests. Mm-hmm. It takes a tasking from the White House, whoever's in the White House, um, and they prioritize, and then they, they tell the agency, these are our priorities, and the agency mm-hmm. marches on in terms of its collection effort. So that that function's not going to change. Sure. And it's, a, it's an apolitical organization, which people should be very happy about in the sense that I've been in a lot of countries where it's not. Mm-hmm. and. You know, intel services that are highly politicized and at the beck and call of anybody who happens to get into power, um, you know, are very dangerous elements. Well,
0: you know, Mm -hmm. well back uh, to the uh, the election tampering just a little bit. Uh, Is this sort of incursion into uh, United States politics and uh, just the United States in general? Is this anything new for the KGB or anything new that the CIA has had to deal with? Does this change things?
3: No, no. I mean, the Russians have been the number one perpetrator of, of, of uh, shenanigans, of economic espionage, of of, uh, of uh, theft of information, of probing of infrastructure, um, you know, efforts in cyberspace is China. Uh, Russia's number two, mm. basically. Uh, and they've been doing this. They've been doing covert action campaigns and propaganda campaigns ever since you know the KGB has been around. And they do a lot of it um, yeah and, and it's so nobody should think that this is the first time they've engaged in this sort of thing and, and for all these decades and generations their goal has always been the same going back to essentially going back to World War II and into the Cold War their goal has always been to chip away at the faith in the democratic system which they view mm-hmm. as their number one you know um, enemy so yeah that's interesting. This is, this is what they do,
1: right. I mean, you say China's the number one um, perpetrator of the I guess we'll call it snooping uh, to some degree. But why is it then that the Russians have made such headlines here? I know uh, a lot of people um are upset. They believe that they, I mean, there's a lot of conspiracy theories, maybe not necessarily so conspiratorial, but uh, a lot of people do, are concerned that that Trump is going to be too close with them. Obviously, Hillary would have been very close with the Saudi government, which we all know was the major uh, masterminds behind 9-11 and uh, and has created an immense amount of terrorism. And of course, the Pakistan government, which harbored Osama bin Laden and those sort of very nefarious Middle Eastern countries. Um, why is it then that the Russians seem to be making such, I'm going to say, hey, they are making so, so many headlines are coming out about the Russians interfering in the U.S. election. Is mainstream media, to use that cliche, are they feeding into exactly what Putin and his administration, his regime want, which is to destabilize, like you talked about, the, uh, the American people's morality when it comes to our democratic process?
3: Well, sure. Yeah, absolutely. The answer is yes. And, and the other answer is why is Russia doing it? Well, because it's in their best interest. And, and and it's because they've been doing it for generations, and so it just happens to be now in cyberspace because that's what technology allows. You know, in the old days, it was it was pamphlets and recruiting of human assets, and you know, uh, you know, physically yep. tampering and. and Activities and 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 so that's you know and press stories that they would they would pump into into newspapers right. and in radio interviews. I mean this is the, it was the old school way, but now you know they've got new technology and so this is how they do it. Mm-hmm. The overall reasons are the same. Uh, so you know and, and and uh why are we hearing about Russia? Well, we see, again, it, it's you know all of this. I mean, nothing happens in a bubble. So the other day. Um, I think it was, uh, Lavrov, Sergey Lavrov, the, the foreign minister, you know, he, he, uh, uh, praised Trump's, uh, cabinet selections. Well, of course he did. Why wouldn't he? Because he knows exactly what's going to happen. Like a bunch of Pavlov's dogs. We run stories that go, oh, look, you know, he's praising Trump said, these guys are just so close. They're such, such good friends. So it's exactly mm-hmm. what they know what they're doing. And it's not like they do something for random reasons. So all of this is just part and parcel of of the same, however you would like to prefer, call it, the covert action campaign. Again, designed to, I would argue, to do the same thing that they were trying to do uh, back in in the day when they were trying to, you know, uh, influence our actions during and just after World War II. Right. It, does, it doesn't change. Uh, why don't we know? Uh, why are we talking about China? Well, you know, people that are dealing in, in uh, you know, uh, economic espionage, you know, people that deal in in uh in, in that world and in, in cybersecurity you spend a huge amount of time talking about the Chinese because of the amount of vast resources they dump into uh doing the same thing. And it's just that you know, it's in the it's in the Russians' best interest right now to be filling out and to I mean they they're they I guess to answer your question, Putin loves this right now. Putin is, is super excited uh, every time he picks up a newspaper and it talks about this special relationship, supposedly, that he and Trump have, mm-hmm. makes him happy.
0: Well, so. I, I know I, I just watched uh, on our last episode, we had uh, our guest recommend this documentary called hyper normalization it's a bbc documentary uh and it's absolutely wonderful and they talk a lot about russia and how russia handles intelligence within their own country and how for the last few years uh, especially under putin uh the russian government will fund a lot of different political movements within their own country with completely and totally opposite aims where they'll um they will back both fascist movements and anti-fascist movements. You know, they'll they'll back both, you know, socialists and you know neo Nazis. Uh, is mm-hmm. and that's pretty much to to sow chaos and to make people the people don't know what to believe. In other words, like they they believe nothing. Uh, is that what Russia is trying to do with us? Or are they just trying to sow chaos? Well, it's not. It's not
3: even really so much as it's. Not so much chaos. I mean there's a reason behind it. There's this sort of a there's a there's a plan behind it. Any covert action campaign is fairly well mapped out and you know, fairly well thought through. Just think about it it's sort of like when you come up with a communication strategy, you know, for your company or whatever it may be. I mean it's there's there's a lot of thought that goes into it and they don't just throw something out and see how it works. Right. Um, but yes, I mean underlying all of it is what do they want to do? What do they want to again chip away at this the the face that you know, we have in the democracy faith do we have an electoral system. I mean, that's, this is this. I, I don't know how many different ways to, to put it. And I'm, I'm surprised that at times when you know you read a newspaper article that acts as if this is the first time Russia's done this, but this is you know this is what they do. They right. did it throughout Africa when we were fighting proxy wars out out there, and in, in, uh, in the old days in the 60s and the 70s. Um, you know, they've been doing it in Europe for ages. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it's it could be. Surprise
0: it could be that it's because you know the the cold war a lot of people you know we're in our 30s you know me and Ben are both in our mid 30s uh, and the cold war oh, is a distant is it <laughs> <laughs> well for a lot of us it's like it's a, the cold war is a distant childhood memory for i think a lot of americans right. and and a lot of journalists and uh, russia being an enemy i mean this is something that is new to a lot of us
3: well that's a really good point um and yeah when you when you phrase it that way it it does make sense i guess I had not really put it in, uh, thought about it that way but it and and, and you're right i mean so it, there has been this tendency to I, I in part because our politicians have been so bad at dealing with them and keep trying right. to pretend like we can you know foster terrific relations our, our our interests and russia's interests are really never going to to uh connect mm-hmm. and occasionally they do uh, over little things and we we thought We looked at Syria and we thought, ah, here's an an area where we can cooperate. Well, that's a load of horseshit because the only reason the Russians are there is because they want to keep Assad in power because they don't want to lose their only uh, port for their Black Sea fleet. I mean, there's no – it's a very simple world at times. And so, you know, our interest – it's not because they want to fight terrorism too. I mean, as you pointed out, they've been, you know, in in their own subversive way at times – promoting terrorism in their country to support mm-hmm. their own cause. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, Putin to some degree, that's how he rose to power. It so-
1: is, yeah. And to sort of piggyback on Marcus's point, uh, you know, we have a situation like Brexit. I believe it was seventy four when they joined the European Union. It might not be the exact date, but it was in the mid seventies uh, when the UK joined the EU. And of course, now we have our own sort of, uh, you know, Brexit esque feeling in this country of, uh, you know, uncertainty. What's going to happen under a President Trump? And of course, the people that voted for Brexit and for Donald Trump tend to skew higher in age, and they have a an experience. They have a life before the EU, and they have a life during the cold war do you give any sort of credence to this idea of maybe it's um individuals who sort of want to go back they want to retro the 90s are in right now um <laughs> even the 80s and 70s uh from a uh, from a geopolitical level they might be more of a uh of a sure thing to take to have a bipolar world where it's just us versus the russians once again and if that is the case is there some sort of maybe um uh, you know, p- purposeful, like r- r- rising up, uh, uh, or allowing the Russians to rise up again. Because if they are powerful, it sim- makes for a simpler foreign policy.
3: Well, it doesn't because the world keeps changing. So we're not going to have you know the fifties and the sixties, seventies again. You know, it's not because there's. There's too many other variables. There's there's the rise of, of global terrorism. There's the rise of China. Uh, there's the you know rise of North Korea as a nuclear uh, you know equipped uh, nation. There's Iran's you know, massively growing influence in the Middle East. So, yeah, you know, we, we're not going to be back. To that no, I don't. I mean, I see what you're saying, but I don't. I wouldn't describe that to you know anybody. Nobody's looking and going. You know, you'll hear, you know, old timers say, well, I wish it was the old days when it was easier and just, you know, nobody's working to make it the old days, I guess is the way I'm saying. Um, I think that if, if there's any change in policy towards Russia, part of the intent will be, uh, an effort to, um, promote our own economic interests, I suppose. Uh, part of it will be an effort to, uh, you know, uh, promote a, a uh, I don't want to say containment, mm-hmm. but uh, I think there's there's an element of that there where there's a feeling as if he's had his way, certainly over the past seven or eight years, and there's a desire to uh, push back. And that's where I, I do see a lot of that within, again, that second, third tier of people that are coming into the new administration um, who, you know, firmly believe that they have gotten away with a great deal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we need to enact policy changes that will you know, again, rein them in maybe that's the wrong way to phrase it.
1: Well, right and and that's what's so interesting and that's what a lot of um, you know, conservatives are coming at it from that angle, but the interesting thing with Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, uh, he was for TPP, he was also for the Iran deal, and of course with Exxon Mobil being the CEO of that, they have some massive uh, connections with the Russians from an economic standpoint uh, wouldn't that lead us to want Russia to be stable and of course uh, Trump ran on a campaign against TPP. He hated the Iran deal. He's going to rip it up day one. And he's putting in power people who benefited greatly from these contracts. So do you see that sort of as a um, – it's, it's kind of a mixed bag there, right? Because we want Russia to do well. He wants to do business with Russia. And uh, and then, of course, with Iran, you, know, you have somebody like a Tillerson whose bottom line is money and economics who also wants to have a, a different trade agreement with them. And to some degree, those are two sort of liberal things.
3: Well, they are. Um, I guess there's, there's several points there. One is I think it's good when you bring people into a, an organization that have differing views, right? I mean, I, I think uh, hopefully other people would feel the same way. If you have people who all believe the same thing and you face, set a problem on the table and they all stare at it, they're going to come up with the exact same thing, and that's not what you want. it's right. You know, sort of high-level policy planning you know you want to hear every side so i don't think it's a bad thing that he might be bringing in people who you know perhaps don't have the same views that he meaning trump you know espoused during the campaign and again to what degree he holds to those things that he talked about during the campaign i I have no idea right um the other thing is is tillerson you know everything that tillerson did during the course of his time as ceo at exxon is because he's running a large public company and is you know that's his job. He's responsible for increasing value for the shareholders. That's it. He's not responsible for you know anything much other than that. So I, mm-hmm. I think. Well, that will he, he, he still? Will he still I, I, be I responsible he, yeah, for that?
2: He, uh,
3: well, no, no. Again, he's not. He, he's not running a company now. And I think you know, if 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 all you do is say, well, he was a businessman, so that's what, the way he's going to be. Is always that. Mm-hmm. Um, then it doesn't. You know, it doesn't bode well for how somebody views the you know, human capacity for, uh, uh, you know, for thought and, and action. So I, I think I, I personally, I'm sure lots of people disagree. I don't have a problem with someone coming in from running a massive corporate uh, global entity uh, and doing this. The problem we've had in Washington to some degree over the years, I'd argue, is it's, it's just a, for the most part, not the most part, that's the wrong way to put it, but it's an inbred swamp, right? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you know, all these years politicians felt like the only people who could actually do any of these jobs in government were actual politicians or academics that was it and it became a very cozy club so part of the angst that we're seeing in the media and and in washington on on, uh, on the Democrat side in particular is that you know they're choosing people who are outside the box and that makes them uncomfortable because maybe that means you know perhaps the gravy trains you know coming to an end but i i don't have a problem with it i, I think that you can bring people in It's like it's like ben carson i have no idea whether ben carson's going to be a good you know, housing secretary, Right. but do I think, um, you know, running uh, HUD is more difficult than performing, you know, countless brain surgeries? No.
1: Well, they are two very different skill sets. Yeah. Well, they're they're two
3: very different skill sets, but do I think that that one can translate to the other? Sure. Do I think you have to be a politician um, or have to have grown up in the State Department to, look, I know a lot of people in the State Department. Some are extremely good. Some are deadwood. You know, I'm right. sure people say the same thing about the agency. You know what? Uh, I, I don't have any. I don't have any problems with Tillerson coming in from the outside to. to
1: No, and 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 to some degree, I do agree with you. You know, it's sort of a cliche as well. You know, where you show a uh, a politician, and if they wore the um, the corporations that endorse them and give them money, they would look like a NASCAR, uh, you know, covered in Tide and Exxon Mobil, uh, you know, stickers. So it is interesting that the puppet master, or what many people believe to be the puppet master, uh, in a uh, Exxon CEO such as Rex Tillerson, is now just the face, uh, and is now the Secretary of State. But do you feel like, you know, is it, is it, uh, he will always have the perspective of a businessman. And so when he does go, and a lot of people, Alex Jones, for example, InfoWars, uh, you know, he says he can be very crazy, but occasionally he can say something rational, but usually it's pretty nuts. He talked about the yeah, global. You know, he lots talks. Of monkey's
3: room, typewriters. Exactly. <laughs>
1: that's it. But they would often talk about globalists, and the globalists are taking over. When they talk about globalists, they're talking about global corporations, right? So now we have somebody like Rex Tillerson, who is the Secretary of State, who is by all definition a globalist and i think this makes uh some people uncomfortable and they believe that this is a victory for uh you know the, the people that individuals like alex jones who finds himself in kind of a pickle uh in a uh, in a pickle now but they find it to be a little bit dangerous to have such a uh, corporate head now be the face of our government
3: yeah, I mean, I I, could, I get that. I mean, I know that you know everybody comes to this from, from their own experiences, and that's how you know they they. I just my experiences are different. I you know I look at it and I spend enough time behind the curtain, watching how uh, you know the end workings some, of some pretty you know, interesting parts of government go, to uh, to not really have that concern. A, I don't believe there's you know some global conspiracy to create a one world government, you know, and uh, and and B, I just. Happen to think that, you know somebody who uh, has Tillerson's background and his uh, international experience, uh, I go back to that same word pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he has the you know best interests at, at heart of the u s. you know, look, there's always an ego part of it, but frankly he's giving up a lot of money to become Secretary of State. He's giving up a lot of lifestyle to become Secretary of State. I've talked to a, a handful of people going into, you know, somewhat senior positions. They all tend to be doing it for the same reason: there's a sense of service, there's a sense of desire to do this because now it's the right time. And some of them think, well, yeah, this incoming administration, in particular, let's we all pitch in, you know, mm-hmm. not because they they are Trump supporters necessarily, but because they believe now is the time when we need to pitch in. Sure. So I, I just I don't I don't have that level of concern. I mean, maybe you know I, I'm more Thinking about um, sort of the, the thirty thousand foot view, I think Tillerson is going to be just fine when he sits down for meetings with you know global uh, leaders around the world, and he's talking treaties or he's talking issues. Um, it's good that he uh, has a perspective on on energy because energy, you know, it's a huge issue related right. to national security overseas and drives a lot of what Russia, as an example, does. So he knows the ins and outs of that for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, back to. Well, Um, back. I think he's going to be a better Secretary of State than John Kerry. Yes. Well, John Kerry was atrocious. A better Secretary of State than Hillary Clinton. Yes. So I'm I'm not setting the bar super high. I think he's going to exceed the bar that we've had for the past couple of secretaries.
0: Well, back to Russia for, for just a second, and especially foreign policy. And I think one of the, the weird things about the Trump administration is that it has made us all pay so much more attention to foreign policy uh, than we have in the last eight years. And because of that, since, I mean, at least me personally, I haven't uh, been paying a whole lot of attention. When you say Russia's interests, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I, I don't know what Russia's interests are, and I don't know what how they run counter. Counterintuitively to uh, America's interests, because you uh, tell—I mean, could you enlighten me on that?
3: Yeah, yeah. Russia, Vladimir Putin is a very relatively simple individual to read. If you just take him at his word, and, and if, you, if we had taken him at his word for all these years, we would have uh, been in a better position uh, vis-a-vis Russia. He believes and stated so uh, over ten years ago that the collapse of the Soviet Union was the greatest catastrophe of the 20th century, mm-hmm. and he means it. So his interests, meaning Russia's interests, are in rebuilding Soviet influence, Soviet-level right. influence, not just through turf, not through territory, but through a variety of means, uh, co- 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 coercion and energy policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where his head is. He ha- There is no doubt about it. That's what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been able to do it. But th- the Ukraine was not the first time. You know the the Russians have rolled into territory. They rolled their troops into Georgia, and you know what? They still got thousands and thousands and thousands of troops sitting in Georgia, in uh, in Abkhazia uh, and South Ossetia. So, yeah, you know this, uh, he, this he he means what he says,
1: right? Well, that's and, interesting, and I yeah. I, know, I want to expand on that a little bit when it comes to personalities. And let's just stick uh, let's just continue on with with Putin and, uh, and 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 Trump. When it comes to Trump's uh, temperament. Are you concerned at all? I mean, he, he tweets at SNL. He tweets at the cast of Hamilton. He, he's really, uh, you know, he tweets at individual civilians. Yeah, and, uh, he, and he banned
0: Twitter from uh, a technology meeting yes.
1: over an argument, over emojis. Over an emoji. So when When somebody like Putin, who does you know, he does seem to have uh, a—he's a lockbox to steal Al Gore's term uh, when it comes to uh, you know his philosophies, his points of view, and what's he what he wants to do. Like you just said, uh, you and I—you
3: and I are very similar. I'm I'm always finding myself voting Al Gore too. Um, oh, no. yeah, I know. I love the
1: guy. I love the guy, which, by the way, I want to talk to you uh, after this question about what you think about him meeting with Kadia and all these people. And then, we'll, then we'll let you go back to your wonderful life. Uh, but what do you think? Are you concerned at all about Donald Trump's temperament regarding, uh, you know, talking about whether it be taking the Taiwanese president's phone call or whatever? That's
3: a fantastic question. I kid I don't know that anybody, who, who wouldn't say they're concerned about his temperament? I, think, I can't. <laughs> I can't imagine anybody that would say no. I I feel no I about that. <laughs> um, yeah, quite. I, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I and I, I guess it's it's layered. Look, I don't know the man, obviously. Uh, so, I, you know, it's like anything else. You got to withhold judgment. Obviously, you base it on some of the things that you see in terms of behavior. Do I wish he was more disciplined? Uh, particularly now that he's actually the president-elect. Over over uh, the way that he <laughs> tweets or talks or. Um, gets his message out there well sure but uh i suspect you know that's not really going to change people say well once he becomes president he's going really to be much more uh you know circumspect i i don't i don't right. know i don't think that's going to happen well, but are... so yeah i'm 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 worried about that but um you know and i don't think there's some grand plan behind it i don't think he's Sending out a tweet and going, yes, this is going to have this effect because this is how people are going to process it. I right. think he just thinks like, man, okay, Saturday Saturday live show sucked, and then he tweets <laughs> yeah. it out.
0: That's well, so, it. Are you concerned uh, about his temperament from a national security standpoint?
3: Well, um, yeah, I would be. Uh, I would be lying if I said that um, I am um, not somewhat. Uh, concerned, I guess it's tempered by knowing, again, who is working in the intel community, uh, you know, and also who's coming into the his administration for the national security team. I've got a high degree of confidence in those, in some of those folks. But, uh, but sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that at a minimum, look he doesn't have to he doesn't have to sit in every if, he, if all he did was sit in intelligence briefings, he'd have no time to do anything else. Intel briefings come from everywhere, not just the CIA, they come from INR over at the the State Department, they come from a variety of of the agencies that are you know tasked with collecting information for whatever reason. you could we could spend your entire day sitting there. and in fact, President Obama missed almost sixty percent of his Intel briefings during the course of his, his administration. So it's a little bit disingenuous to say, well, but he said he's not going to say that. You know, sometimes we take him at Mm -hmm. face value, and I think that might be a mistake. Although, you know, again, uh, what else do we have to go on right now? That's it. Um, But uh, yeah, I I think that he could be. He could be. He needs to be more disciplined, and, and I'm sure people are talking to him about it. Whether
1: that changes, I don't know. You just, is there any sort of um, benefit to having somebody like Donald Trump, who does sort of spout off, uh, you know, very flippantly? It appears to be flippant, anyway. Is there any kind of benefit? Does that lead to everyone being a little bit more destabilized and nervous? Because as, I mean, he literally <laughs> there, ran. He ran on a platform of like, "I might use nukes. I'm not taking them off the table." Yeah, that was his platform. Do you? Is it possible that <laughs> in in some way Way. it is a hmm. genius move for the, donald trump uh, that to he's just, a human doomsday machine that he's a huge yes <laughs> is it possible that people overseas uh you know the leadership in china or, you know or the russians or the saudis or whoever is it possible they're like we just don't know what he's gonna do and in some way is that beneficial towards the end game of the united states
3: well uh, there's a couple of parts to that right i mean usually with foreign policy um Mixed messages and inconsistency aren't a good thing. Okay. Uh, You want your allies to know where you stand. Now, that doesn't mean that the idea that those that don't have our interests at heart, whether it's North Korea or China or Russia or whomever, Iran, that they... You know, we don't necessarily need for them to know exactly what we're going to do from day to day. That's not so important. But we need to ensure that our allies around the mm-hmm. world know exactly where we stand. Part of the problem over the past several years is that they don't know where we stand. Mm-hmm. So That's why we've been seeing changing alliances. You look over in, in the EU, I mean, aside from the fact that you know, the fabric of the EU is somewhat coming apart, we've been getting new alliances building, you know, the, 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 the French and the Russians, the Germans and the Turks, the Brits and the Chinese because people aren't quite sure where we stand anymore Hmm. and and to what degree we're going to back them up. Um, So I know that's sort of a strange, nuanced answer to your question. Look, here's what I always thought. I always thought Saturday Night Live missed the boat. I think they should have been running, ever since he got into the campaign, they should have been running a sketch every week where in private he was the most thoughtful individual. He was like Kissinger. And then he realized he was actually... Possibly going to win the election. So he just got, would go out and say the most batshit crazy things, but his numbers kept going up. Right, And then he'd go back into his office and he'd sit there with, with his team and they'd, they'd very thoughtfully talk about how do I get out of this? And then he'd come up with something else crazy and batshit to say. And he'd go out and do it, and his numbers would keep going up. Actually, that That's sa- right. I'm, not a, I'm not a writer
1: for Saturday. No, Actually, that was,
0: the, pl- that was uh, the plot of the first half of uh, the season of South Park this year. Yeah. yeah. Very
1: good. Yeah. <laughs> You're even better than SNL.
0: <laughs> I mean, do you think, I, I don't know, I keep thinking with, with, with Trump and his temperament, I keep thinking of the, the old term, loose lips sink ships, because nobody has looser lips than Trump.
1: Ugh, why'd you make me think of that? What is wrong with you, Marcus? <laughs> yeah, that was on purpose. <laughs> yeah, Whoa. thanks for that.
2: Uh,
0: I mean, do you think that? Do you think I'm, that is a, a possibility that you know his, you know his flippancy could get people killed?
2: It,
3: it, um, well,
0: I mean, specifically in the CIA, yeah, I mean, I you know, know like a, is he going to blow cover?
3: Based on my, based on my experience, I'm a big fan of, of uh, just keeping your yap shut, right? I mean,
0: um, yeah,
3: you know, discretion, as far as I'm concerned, is always a good thing, uh, but um i i here's the thing I have to believe I think there's an element here of of uh, again you know you, I, I admit i'm hoping for the best right. there's an element here that uh, in my thinking that says i'm just going to have to hope for the best that is the folks around him uh instill uh messaging discipline communications discipline um i don't have a problem with him I don't think he's going to be releasing you know classified Intel or just blurting out secrets i i don't that's not what I'm worried about. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course it wouldn't be anything new. We live in in an age now where the New York Times can write an entire front page story based on anonymous sources um, who can't be named because they're not supposed to reveal classified information, but they, they do it anyway. So, yeah, it uh, sort of reminds me possible. of what
1: happened. It reminds me of what happened with Valerie Plame, for example, uh, and things like that. You wonder if we might be seeing a little bit more of, uh, you know, of covers being blown for political reasons. I mean, hopefully not, because of course that's a life or death issue.
3: Yeah, I don't think I, I, I don't believe that will be the case. I, I don't think we're not going to see some existential breakdown in the fabric of society you mm. know? I think, and and the, the honest to God's truth is probably that Washington is so dysfunctional. Uh, no. It's like trying to turn, you know, an oil tanker. It takes forever. So if if people think they're going to get rapid, amazing, significant, vast changes, I think that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, just aside from the, you know, the obstruction that they'll get from, you know, from the efforts from the Senate on the Democratic side, uh, yeah. you know, things don't move at light speed in Washington. Now there'll be some some changes that will be put in place. There's no doubt about it, but. You know, and deregulation deregul- uh, and and uh, and other issues, but I don't think we're going to see right. massive changes like we the, the media is putting out there right now.
1: Well, it's interesting you mentioned media because I do want to talk about that just just briefly to get your perspective on it, and uh, because I know obviously you have you have media experience. Um, first of all, do you believe that the media would be covering the Russians as much if Hillary Clinton would have won? Uh, that's my first question because obviously the the Russians disseminating uh, misinformation in the United States they can't really predict a winner they can't uh, they can't create a winner they can simply sow discontent with the democratic pro- uh, process like we talked about earlier. That's question number one. Do you think uh, it would be different coverage if Hillary won? And number two, what what responsibility does the media have now in order to make sure that People once again have faith uh, in in uh, this country. I mean, it, it, is it dangerous for them to constantly call Donald Trump or you know uh, you know certain uh, w- to really? We have to hold his feet to the fire, but at the same time, he is the president, and we do have to give him a chance, I believe, because he's not going anywhere unless these electors really do get scared to death to vote for him. Um, (laughs) But what are your thoughts on on the Hillary thing and the media's responsibility in in making this country solidified as a unit, uh, you know, as as a solidified unit once again? Or, you know, it never really has been, but as much as possible.
3: Right, right. I I, I think if Hillary had won, yeah, I think this would be a non-story from the media's perspective about Russian influence. What do you think? That somehow the, the media if Hillary had won, the media would think, well, this is fascinating. Well, let's let's let's, let's do a, a you know investigative report on Russian influence in the in the electoral process because no, it's not going to happen. I don't. I think that's my my opinion for what that's worth. Um, and then the other part of it is uh, what you, your second question kind of implies this idea that there will be some introspection on the part of the media following this election and they'll think about, did we do the right thing? And, you know, I wonder, you know, maybe we could have covered this better or, you know, maybe we need to actually become more, you know, objective in our, but I, I just, I, again, I don't see that happening. Mm. Um, and that's the voice I always put on when I'm I'm pretending to be somebody
1: else. I no, I like that. You so should s- sell perfect. me on the Iraq War, <laughs> would you? You saw that sounds pretty good. Uh, that sounds just
0: like the media to me. <laughs> well, I, someone on our uh, someone on our Facebook group uh, brought up a really good point about or a, a possible theory about the the Russian. Uh, interference is uh, the the point that this person brought up uh, was that it's possible that Russia still wanted Clinton to win uh, because she is a a known quantity Uh, but if you know Clinton won uh, then she would have essentially an enemy in Donald Trump constantly tweeting at her constantly attacking her and further eroding the process Uh, and they just assumed that you know they never thought in a million years that America would actually elect Donald Trump
1: and Trump is still Questioning the process, yeah. and he won
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, and now that yeah. Trump, and now that Trump is in, they don't really know what to do. That they never wanted Trump in. What do you think about that?
3: Yeah. Well, here's again, we, you know, answers always come from based on your life experiences. I, I've worked against the Russians. Uh, I've dealt with their covert action campaigns around, you know, around the world in various places. Um, and again, people because they're coming at it from a partisan perspective, they won't buy this. But uh, the Russians. The top game is they don't care, right? They don't care who won. What they care about is what they've done, and they consider this a very successful effort, because look mm. what we're doing, right, we're, exactly. we're questioning the process. we're We're talking about this to, to you know endless degree we're, we're shaking confidence in the system, which is you know if you looked and said at the, at the playbook that, that Putin has on his desk, you know for covert action uh objectives you know broken down into objectives number one would be shake confidence in the U.S. system <laughs> and, and that's that's it so yeah. there are colonels in the kg or in the FSB now who are being promoted uh because mm. of this whole whole effort now it makes it does beg the question i i'm sure some of the listeners will say well what, what about that cia assessment that says that you know they they think it's highly likely that putin you know did this because he wants trump to win well i mean my answer to that is the only people who know what's actually in that assessment are a small number of people inside the CIA working on that project. Because not, it's not like everybody in the CIA has knowledge of everything, right? It's a need-to-know basis. Mm-hmm. So I'm read right in on this project or operation, and a vast number of other people in that building are not. Mm-hmm. There's a, a small number of people. And then the other people who know about what's in that assessment and the specific evidence or information that points to any assessment are the people that they briefed, the actual not, – not, not staffers – But the people with the the highest clearances that sat in there, the senators, have actually listened to this. Mm -hmm. And the stories that have come out about it are all based on anonymous officials, anonymous individuals talking about this, not people directly briefed or directly involved. So if I had to speculate, I'm thinking the agency uh, briefing that they keep referring to up on the Hill was probably a lot more nuanced than that. And you probably then had a couple of the senators or some of them coming out talking to their staff about it. And, you know, they're spinning it the way that they perceive or they want right. it because intelligence overall, intelligence has it is, a quality to it that is somewhat malleable. You can, you can steer intelligence in the direction that you want to sometimes, unless right. it's just 100%, and you never have 100% surety on anything. Yeah. So it's an, interesting, it's an interesting issue, and it bears playing yeah. out, but, I, you know, I, I'm thinking the media has run with this, and the real truth is not exactly, uh, you know, incontrovertible evidence that yeah. the agency believes somehow that Putin wanted Trump to win.
1: Well, thank you so much for your insights. I've got one more question. I, you is, know, is it about Kanye? Because <laughs> I do have to get Mike, i do have to get your insights on Kanye. But you got right. thirty seconds for that one, so Marcus <laughs> i first. I've
0: got one question about like the the media response to this. Like, um, you know, and of course, like we we here at uh, Top Hat, we're we're a little guilty about uh, being a little scared about you know the russians being involved in all this where do we go from here do we just say you got us and we move on i'm not scared i love it
3: (laughs) yeah no no i think i think uh it's not it won't be necessarily the media's job i mean i suppose you know if we had an objective investigative media out there anymore i suppose then they could they could pursue it um but you know from an intel perspective that's all i can speak to uh there's a great deal of work that goes on from the nsa and from from the agency um and, and from the FBI, they've got terrific people at the FBI uh, involved in cybersecurity. Uh, and, you know, they've been doing this for a long time. So it's not, again, it's not as if the Congress is calling for an investigation. The investigation started early in the year when we started, we started talking in, in, in general terms about Russian influence or efforts to meddle. So no. it's been going on for some time. Yeah. And we will, you know, it, it may not come out in the public. But, you know, the the intel community and therefore the national security team over at mm-hmm. the White House will have an answer. They will have information about this, and they will take action. They will, there will be protocols in place to say this is how we're going to respond, uh, just as if we would do the same thing if we, you know, caught the Chinese doing something or the yeah. Iranians doing something. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully that response will be consistent, will be strong. Well, and uh, will prevent something from happening in
1: the future. Absolutely, and to sort of be positive about it. I, I like that. I think the key word is caught. Technically, the Russians didn't get away with this, yeah. right? I mean, we, we are well right. aware of, of what they did, and uh, and hopefully people are able to um, look past their p- uh, partisan bias and, uh, and, and see what happened uh, for what it is. Unless they wanted to get caught. Unless they wanted, and that's another good, oh, my, <laughs> well, point, counterpoint. There is uh, that. All right, so I'm going to assume you love Kanye meeting with Trump.
3: Oh yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> right. uh, yeah, I you know I think uh, I, I see no downside to that for either of them. Um, so no, I, I who knows? I you know yeah, it, it's it, it is interesting, right? It, it's sort of they've they've set up camp the cameras, I mean, and, and yeah. it's this daily circus or parade of people going in and out of, of Trump Tower, and and you know this happened with the Obama administration, it happened with the Bush administration. Oh, of the course, transition yeah. process is never the same. It's yeah. I mean it's never different. It's always the same process. It's just that now. As you pointed out before, we're also fascinated that people are watching this on a daily basis. Nobody watched the transition team process for the previous administrations. Right. Yep. But you know Trump's a different cat. And so even even we, David Axelrod
1: even David Axelrod was like give Trump a bit of a break here. He's trying to fill this <laughs> cabinet out. No one was covering us like that and of course uh, he was no, very involved not, with Obama. Right. Um so uh, thank you so much for being here Mike. Is there yeah. anything you want to plug? You got a TV uh, spot coming up? It doesn't even matter. Just you can find Mike <laughs> on Twitter. It's M C <laughs> Wait, what is it? MB Company man.
3: That's right. It's MP Company, man. And uh, no, nothing to plug right now. Although I am going to be starting uh, work on a new uh, television show in the new year in January, awesome. and uh, so I'll come back on and plug that when we've uh, when we've gotten close to finish filming it. I can't uh, wait. it to be a big, big production for uh, for uh, NBC and Esquire.
0: Awesome. So, hey.
3: um, that should be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on, man. It's always very illuminating when you come on. We really appreciate it.
3: Now you guys have a great show. It really is. It's terrific to be able to delve into these topics. I use the word "del" uh, for, uh, for any period of time as opposed to like a two-minute bite. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, thanks very much, guys. Have a, have a terrific, terrific
1: Christmas, and, and uh, hopefully talk to you again soon. Yeah, yeah. Merry Christmas, yeah. man. We'll talk to you soon. Congratulations on the That's show, good. by the way. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. Take care. Okay, bye. Bye. Um, all right. Well, what a great interview. Mike is always incredible.
0: He always is. It, it's so good to, to get a different perspective here. Absolutely. Uh, yeah.
1: And we all we try to as much as we possibly can. Oh, I know. My conservative roommate, Mike, was livid with the Anthony Atamanik interview. He's like, <laughs> that was a liberal interview. So I hope, hopefully for our more conservative <laughs> listeners, uh, you were able to hear some information that you liked. Because I certainly agree with much about what Mike said. And uh, yeah, and we'll get into some of the celebrity stuff that we can cover ourselves uh, in the next episode. Jesus. Uh, which it, is, I got a lot of thoughts in this Kanye, by the way. You get a lot they of put him in that? the loony bin because he said he might vote for Trump. We'll oh, we'll get they into didn't it. Put them in the We'll get bit. into it. Didn't put oh, him I did some Jeez. thinking last night, Marcus. <laughs> I did some pacing it. I did some drinking it. I did some thinking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we'll have to save that for the next episode. Uh, but thank you guys so much for listening, man. I mean, we're absolutely crushing it right now because of you. We got some T-shirts coming out. That yeah, have been um, Andy made them. Andy Algra. Org. I, org. I always org. say his name wrong. And uh, I think they're really badass. Yeah, uh, they're cool looking shirts. A yeah.
0: blink is top hat uh, T-shirts. It's great. It's got a skull and vomit.
1: Yeah, and it, the flag is in the vomit. I mean, who, who doesn't care uh, for that? Uh, so thank you guys so much for listening. Find Marcus on Twitter and Instagram at Marcus Parks. I'm Instagram, Ben Kissel1, getting better at it. Ben Kissel on Twitter. Please tweet at me whenever you want. I try to respond as much as I possibly can. And rate and review on iTunes. Uh, we just Last podcast was just t- uh, Vulture's Top 10 podcast, Yeah, uh, which was an amazing compliment. And I think all the shows here on CCR belong on that list. So uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.